continue. The vibes will right. continue until morale improves. <laughs> Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name is Caleb, and there weren't enough girls in my neighborhood for me to become obsessed with any of them. My name's Stephanie, and obviously you've never been a 13-year-old girl. My name's Justin, and for relaxing times, make it Suntory time. (laughs) I wish we could show video of Justin saying that. (laughs) While sipping a whiskey glass. Have you ever had Japanese whiskey, Justin? I have. I've had, um, I believe that was the Suntory uh, Hibiki, and it's pretty good. It's what? not my favorite, but it's good. <laughs> How are y'all so cultured? I don't. I, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a as Japanese, Japanese whiskey, whiskey or like yeah. in particular. Yep, it's a whole thing. Uh, and apparently oh, here, uh, stateside, uh, this movie helped to jumpstart the craze because of Bill Murray obsession. Therefore, Bill Bill Murray was in a movie drinking Japanese whiskey. Therefore, it became popular in America. <laughs> well, damn. More popular in America, I should say. That's so funny. He hardly looks enthusiastic about it at any point. I know. So did Osmosis Jones kick off a zoo craze in America? Yes. What? <laughs> Don't look it up. Bill yeah. Murray's character in Osmosis Jones was a zookeeper. Correct me if I'm wrong, Justin. I haven't watched the movie willingly since elementary school. <laughs> I've never seen it. Uh, uh, He had a job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than being a dad? Yes, he had a job. <laughs> being a very sweaty dad? <laughs> he was sweaty because of his illness and i'm you know what i'm not defending this movie i'm not going to defend this movie we're not here to talk about the gaping mistake in the universe that is osmosis Why jones we're here so to much, talk Caleb? about why does that bother you so much i'm it's, curious it's disgusting well it's about it's, bodies of no it's it's, disgusting. it's it's the particular like early 2000s type of just gross out humor oh gross. and i don't find any of it funny it's only redeeming quality is david hyde pierce i always enjoy when caleb really hates something <laughs> i enjoyed it as a kid there's only one part that i remember really uh uh disgusting me but That's i'm not gonna it. go back and enjoy- it's the zit yeah yeah, yeah. i'm not gonna <laughs> anyway yeah. we're talking about two movies that are nothing that are like not us. we're talking about two <laughs> movies that are good actually yeah two two good movies imagine that um most of, I would say most of the movies we've talked about on the podcast have been more or less good, but that's more due to the fact that we don't want to talk about the ones that aren't as much. Because <laughs> we enjoy talking about things we like. Yeah, we mostly, range from we range from movies that are fine to yeah. good. We we haven't done anything that's. I think bad, the movies that I've had a mo- a the most negative reaction to thus far have been clue and walk the line and even those it wasn't like i hated them it was like i was like i'm not really getting a lot from this (laughs) (laughs) Uh, maybe army of darkness but 
Uncultured. I wasn't. Uh, I, I, I tried fight, to fight, watch fight, that fight. from a Justin perspective, and from that perspective, I get it. Um, but um, yes, so so anyway, we are talking about two. This week, good movies. Yes, we're talking about Sofia Coppola. Yes, our our one female director for Directors Month. To be fair, because there, are, there are no others. Right, she's the only one. She's the only one <laughs> ever. No. She's... No, no. We, there's, uh, you know, we can't forget him. What's her name? Yeah, her. <laughs> Greta Gerwig. Uh... <laughs> it's just those two, right? Just quite, sort of like a like a post Sofia Coppola. Um, to film Twitter, don't 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 quote me on that, please. I don't want to hear your debates. Um, yeah, so. I would say, though, she's definitely been one of the more prolific female directors of the past few decades. Uh, I mean, you know, it, obviously the elephant in the room being the fact that there haven't been that many female directors that have gotten a lot of studio support. Mm-hmm. Like, And it helps when your dad is your dad has his own production yeah. studio. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not to say that her movies don't have their own merit because they definitely no, do. They do. It just, you know, it just helps. <laughs> yes. Right. It's, you know, nepotism is only a bad thing when it's really the only reliable way to to succeed. And then it definitely becomes a, a problem. But it just because someone got to where they are, be, or just because someone got their start because of nepotism doesn't mean they got to where they are because of nepotism. Like, right. Obviously, yeah. she's a good director. Yeah, I think a decent metric for whether or not it's bad in any given circumstances, do you believe that person could have made it there without it? And absolutely with Sofia Coppola. Uh, yeah, at, at least fantastic. if there was any meritocracy at all. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think... Uh, I sent you guys that IMDb little video. I watched it. Um, <laughs> that was supposed to be kind of like just a little compilation, like pointing out some similarities between some of her movies, and which I think is always a fun thing to do with a director because, I mean, for this month especially, it's kind of the whole thing that we're trying to do um, is is looking at um, particular directors' work and seeing if we can spot some, some common themes, common techniques. Um, and, and yeah, this one definitely laid a lot of it out there. I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty much just most of the stuff we were going to talk about. <laughs> like, like, oh, okay, movies, like, mostly from a female perspective, though, with your occasional Bill Murray um, about people who are deeply, <laughs> devastatingly lonely, lonely yeah. and uh, they're very beautiful to look at, have pretty good soundtracks. Um, not always super plot heavy it's light on plot heavy on vibes yes oh the vibes um, see uh, that that's one thing i love about we it. haven't i think we haven't even... is full of vibes right now you right. see the colors on that thing <laughs> yeah. again we're a very visual podcast yeah <laughs> it doesn't help you guys but it sure helps us we haven't even named what two movies we're discussing yeah let's go ahead and we're, we're discussing the virgin suicides and lost in translation yes um, In case you didn't read the title say, before you clicked on this. <laughs> I want to say Virgin Suicides was the first movie, right? Uh, I believe I did not so. do my research. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Good thing yeah. I have the Wikipedia. Thank you, Justin. The Wikipedia? The yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, her first major film. Okay. Virgin so Suicides. imagine... 1999. Imagine, if you will, you're Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> sure. You I'm own, there. You own a production company. 
and your daughter wants to make a movie and you produce it and your daughter makes the virgin suicides like, okay. i'd probably be yeah. like sophia sweetie do you yeah, do you, you have you some things you need to tell me i'd be like was uh, i a bad father one sophia uh i am immensely proud of you good job <laughs> two uh i checked you into therapy <laughs> <laughs> What did what did your mother and I do? Please, yeah, please tell, tell us what we could have done differently. Um, I don't know. I it's uh, if this movie wasn't based on a book, but it yes, is. So I feel, I, but see, it's like I feel like there is enough of a vibe to it that it wouldn't have to be intensely autobiographical to still feel very relatable. If that makes sense, like um, I feel like there's a lot of us who could have made this. Let me rephrase that. Not a lot of us who could have made this movie as well as Sofia Coppola, but a lot of us who could have been inspired like to make this movie and been like, wow, this really resonates with me. Um, even if, you know, you t- <laughs> you weren't a suicidal teenager, um, which who knows? Maybe she was. I, I and uh, Sofia Coppola did the screenplay adaptation uh, herself. So yeah, uh, uh, clearly at some point she came across the novel and it meant a lot to her. Um, and she decided yeah. to... Come out of the gate swinging as a director. <laughs> you know, I would like to read the novel. Um, you can you can tell it's, well, you can guess it's based on a novel without knowing it because of just the, the poeticism of the language. Uh, the language, yeah, yeah. It, it very much sounds like, especially the narrator. Right, it sounds like something that would have started out in a literary form, um, but I think that translated very well, like. I'm sometimes skeptical of voiceover in movies. I think it has to be used well. And I won't say sparingly because this one doesn't really use it sparingly, but I do think it uses it well enough that it doesn't need to use it sparingly, if that makes sense. Like, (laughs) I think the voiceover works. I like it. Um, And it does give it that kind of, like, literary, dreamy sort of quality, which is very, very key to the the movie. Um... Let's go uh, ahead and... Narration done by Giovanni Ribisi, uh, who plays Charlotte's husband in Lost in Translation. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, he's also in Lost in Translation. Oh, Phoebe's half-brother from Friends? <laughs> I I enjoy this guy uh, and everything I do, I too. Man. He's never, like, the uh, main character, but uh, I love him in Gangster Squad, I love him in Friends, I love him in uh, these two films, like, every he's, every time he shows up. He's <laughs> fun. delightful. He's fun. Um, I don't know this guy for anything else, but I, I believe you. The the choice to have this movie largely from the perspective of the neighborhood boys mm. instead of the girls is very interesting. Yeah. Because for a large portion of the movie, the girls barely seem like characters. Yeah. Like, Lux is the only one of them who has more than, like, three lines. Mm-hmm. It... You know what? I have I have stuff to say about this, so we should go ahead and just say like our briefly say our experiences. Oh, with sorry, this, I jumped but... right into the no, discussion. No, that's okay. That's... My bad. No. I've never seen the movie before two days ago. I liked it, Stephanie. Um, this is my third time seeing the movie. I actually only saw it for the first time very recently, like the past few months. I watched it, um, and I really, really liked it. Then I watched it again pretty soon after. And then this was my third time. Um, Yeah, I love it. It's definitely in my top, like, I have a top 100 movies list on Letterboxd. A lot of the movies we've covered on here are in there. And this one's also in there because I I really love it. And it speaks to me. 
<laughs> just <laughs> uh this was my first time seeing it uh and wow, wow i i was you virgins am i right hey uh uh i was a little nervous going in when i knew what movie we were gonna watch uh for the show uh going in because i was like i don't know what i'm getting into discussion wise here i don't know if me a 30 year old man is ready to talk about the teenage (laughs) girl experience uh but i was i was honestly like uh uh captivated by this movie uh it made me that's a good word for it feel so melancholic and (laughs) i was like oh maybe haven't completely reconciled my weird teenage bullshit yet even on the doorstep of 30. (laughs) this movie will dredge some stuff up like (laughs) uh i uh i told them before we started recording audience but i i did what i always do and watched these uh day of last minute um and watching these two movies back to back about 30 minutes into lost in translation legitimately i paused the movie and i just left my house to drive around in the rain and listen to music for a little bit and then i came back to finish the movie i was like man i'm feeling some stuff did, did you stare out the window uh contemplatively uh while, no because like, i was driving that's wildly by. irresponsible no that's true you can only really do that while someone else is driving um yeah, no, these, these movies are just vibes for days and sometimes pretty sad vibes. I would, more so lost in translation, I feel. Um, I feel like that one's a bit lighter on the plot and just, like, uh, Virgin Suicides doesn't really, ha- like, it moves along at a steady pace. Lost in translation will stop for a five-minute karaoke sequence it's, and I'll just yeah. be struck by, like, this scene would not be this long in another movie. This movie really is just like ninety five percent vibe. <laughs> this, th- I was gonna save that for later, but I, it's like somebody no, it's went true, and spent a semester in Japan during college, and were like, oh, "I need to write a short film about this." <laughs> but because you're Sofia Coppola, you actually made a whole movie about your semester. <laughs> well, she in accidentally Japan. the whole thing. Yeah. Um, oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so yeah, Virgin Suicides. Um, that's true. There is a bit of a plot. Um, it The whole thing is framed, first of all. Like, you're told from the very beginning. <laughs> you're told two things. You're told that it is set in the past, like, 25 years ago, I think, at the time, which... It, yes, the thing was 1974. Was in the 70s, and yeah. And um, you are told that um, they all die. So the movie is not making any bones about that. It's just like, um, yeah, well, it, it exactly what it says on the tin. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> Dead dove do not eat. Um, <laughs> like, literally the first line is Cecilia was the first to go. Of course, it is a fake out where it's like you see her lying in the tub with blood. Um, but that is an unsuccessful attempt. Um, but I do like about it that it's, the point of it is not, like, what's going to happen so much as how it happens. Right, it's the, the Virgin Suicides is the story of five sisters who live in an uptight, strict, repressive Catholic household in Michigan in the 70s. See, so we're already getting into the the big stuff, but we might as well get into it. It uh, are they are they Catholic? Yeah, they have a priest. 
Oh, the, that's right. The, the that's thing right. and everything. Sorry, it, just, it gave me too. such like uh, uh, assemblies of God slash Southern Baptist energy mm. that no. I blacked that out. <laughs> like the the pre they they call him Father. Yeah. And he shows up and he tells the mom that he marked the 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 death as an accident. Yeah, that's because right. otherwise, you know, she'd be going to hell. Um, <laughs> Catholics, you know how they be. Apparently, um, I don't know it. <laughs> So I've been told. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Five, five daughters. Protestants. Five daughters, uptight, very strict yeah. religious household. It hits too close to home. Well, uh, that is that is one reason it hits very close. It's also kind of because it hits so close. It's a little funny to me that like, and maybe I'm missing the point of the movie here, but like so much is made of the boys like not understanding wh- why the girls killed themselves and I'm like, I understand why they killed themselves because <laughs> I fucking have been there like, <laughs> like I, I probably would too. Like it but even when I think about it in those terms I feel like I'm probably being a little bit reductive like, you know, I <laughs> I'm all over the place here because <laughs> this, this movie gives me thoughts that are very all over the place. But after I first saw it, I went and read some reviews of it because I was like, I feel like I got that on, like, an emotional level, but I didn't quite get it on, like, a mental level. Like, uh, so I I went and read some, like, reviews that people had written about it. And I was like, okay, this is starting to make sense to me. It's like, I think we, you know, we mentioned how it is actually framed from the boy's perspective. Like, it's not framed from the girl's perspective, as much like we do get scenes from their POV, but it is more the boys telling the story. I think the whole point is that they don't get it because on some level it's about, I don't know, in our culture, men's inability to understand women or boys inability to understand girls because of, you know, it's not like an innate biological thing as some people I'm sure would say it is, but it's just, um, it's a difference in how you're raised and how you're socialized, I suppose. And I think part of, yeah, like that's kind of the whole point is that no one really does understand them and no one, I don't know, I want to say makes a genuine attempt to, that seems a little uncharitable because seeing it from the boy's perspective, you genuinely get a sense that they are extremely curious about them in a very benevolent way. Like not in like, you know, not in, like, an objectifying way. It doesn't seem like that at all. And yet, on some level, it is objectifying. Right, um, because even in the very last scene, when they're about to help the girls run away, one of the boys still can't help but say he just wants to feel one of them up once. Yes, it's very... but And it feels very that, true to how boys at that age, or maybe at any age, but at that age in particular, would think about girls. Like, it's very much like a... They're not, like, shitty about it. They're, they're very genuine in their curiosity and interest. It, and you can tell that there is actual, like, romantic interest there. It's not just that they want to feel them up. But it's also, like, they still are very much, like, symbolic to the boys. And I think the movie kind of conveys that and how they're very, you know, hazily drawn characters. Um, it's meant to convey that sense of <laughs> ephemera, I guess, like sort of these ethereal beings that can't really be understood though when we watch it we kind of see through that and we're like well they can be understood it's just that no one was genuinely trying you know (laughs) not even their parents which i would argue is the the biggest problem that happens but 
I think that's supposed to be up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I've talked enough. Does someone else want to talk? I also think uh, um, a reason that the the other the other kids, the boys specifically, don't um, quite understand what was going on is because the the force of oppression in their household is ninety percent. I would say. The mother and they have no contact with her. The uh, the dad is a teacher at the yeah. high school, so they see how he is. They know he's a little uptight, but like uh, when when Trip goes and talks to him, he's very like, "Oh, well, you know, I'd change the rules if she'd let me." Ha ha ha. Yeah, like that kind of thing. So they don't really know how uh, uh, strict their family is because they don't see uh, the mother figure like at all. That's that is interesting is that I think the movie sidesteps some easy answers or sidesteps making the answers too easy by having having the mother be the more dominant parent and having her be more in charge of the oppression that's going on. Like it would be easy to say like, oh, it's just patriarchy, like which, you know, don't get me wrong, not a fan of. But um (laughs) I think it would be a, an easier answer to just be like, oh, you know, their father representing patriarchy is super controlling of them. This one seems more like a self-perpetuating cycle, you know, like, which happens a lot with mothers and daughters, you know, like, women grow up in a certain way and are told to be a certain way and have to kill certain parts of themselves. And then, you know, instead of being like, hey, maybe I shouldn't do that to my daughter, instead they're like, Yes, yes, this is right. This is what I must now do to my daughter, like, which uh, seems to be the case with the mom. Yeah, and it 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 hit me because that's that's the kind of dynamic I'm used to. Again, this isn't a universal experience. Just speaking from my own, um, all of the uh, religious guilt and um, um, strict upbringing uh, I've seen in my extended family, not even uh, my immediate family or uh, just outside of that ring. Uh, comes from uh the women and in our side of the family uh and so i was like that is this a thing is this a i thought this was just a family thing is this like a trope (laughs) oh no it's a thing it's absolutely it is unless your dad is a pastor yeah (laughs) you know it can be equivalent right it no i i think it's a thing especially the way in which i think a lot of like women maybe even more so than men tend to latch on to religion and i you could write an entire thesis on on why that might be but i think it's very much a thing like i think women a lot of times maybe seek that sort of emotional or spiritual solace and that kind of sense of a higher power like looking out for you because you know as a woman there is a certain vulnerability and a certain sense of not being understood or not being listened to that maybe it makes sense that you would seek that out in religion unfortunately <laughs> as you know when you combine that with some other societal factors shit can get real ugly like and i appreciated how it the movie didn't come down super hard on showing how religious the parents were which i thought was an interesting choice um like it was mostly just, you know, the priest comes by, who is the most 70s looking character in the movie. Oh, um, yeah. He is really Yeah, with the hair really and the mustache, it. my I man looked it. like he jumped right out of Magnum <laughs> P.I. or something. It was great. He, he, was a, he was a pretty sexy priest, I gotta say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, um, but it did have that line where they mentioned her coming home from a particularly 
spirited sermon or something like that and making um lux lux burn all her records which i was like oh that hits yeah that's a thing like uh, <laughs> that you was can like tell my this parents movie. showing up and being like no more tv what does you, you can tell this movie is set in the 70s uh because she was really upset about her kiss records being uh, burnt and yeah. i'm sorry everyone older than me kiss kind of sucks <laughs> <laughs> No, not Aerosmith. <laughs> Justin, you and I both know a man who would kick your ass for saying that about Kiss, okay? Would he kiss your ass? Probably no. Not. No, he wouldn't. No. Um, yeah, but but I thought that was a good, a good touch because it's like, once again, it's the fact that there's all these different factors. It's it's really not just one thing. It's all these things combining to to repress that particular experience of being a teenage girl. And I I think that's supposed to be the whole idea is that like, you can't just remove any one thing and everything's fixed. It's just that kind of swirling vortex of, of, you know, the combination of oppression and, and lack of connection with other people. And I I think that was kind of handily illustrated. I, I noticed this when we were watching the movie, the, um, the scene after Cecilia's suicide when they try to remove the fence that she jumped onto. And, and if I'm recalling correctly, it cuts to this right after the priest says that he listed her death as a suicide. Oh, sorry. Accident. He listed her death as an accident, not a suicide. My because bad. It's the, the, that's not decided when the girl dies. The priest has to, like, go sit down and, like, write it down, like, in his book to God, like, accident See, oh, that sin. seems okay, like I, send on email i'm Just sorry brief aside that seems like such a weird thing to have a priest to do wasn't well, that a better job for a doctor a or yeah. someone? i i don't know exactly what he was referring to when he said that because i don't really know how catholicism works well, in the, the small the, minute ways but i was I don't think it's his note to God. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think within Catholicism we're supposed to understand that that matters on like a spiritual level. I think we're supposed to understand that it's listed that way for people who are like crying. Yeah, for appearances sake. I don't think priests have an authority over who gets into heaven. I don't think Catholics think that. What do I know? Well, the Catholics (laughs) are all about intercession. That's why they're all about, to my understanding, Catholicism puts more of an emphasis on priests, or not priests, on saints and Mary because of the, the, it's more intercession between I know Martin Luther had some issues with, with indulgences or something, which was a form of interceding, but like, I don't, I don't, I like such an idiot. I don't know about Catholicism. I don't. Uh, well, I'm basing this on an actual conversation I had with one of our friends who is Catholic. Um, and the, also from my understanding, the suicide is a, um, like one of the biggest sins you can it's commit. It's a moral sin. In, yes, in Catholicism. So Which is I, fucked, but I, I mean, I'm not here to, yeah. to talk over the Catholic <laughs> Church, I guess, but... Like um. <clears throat> everything I know about Catholicism, I learned from The Simpsons, Daredevil, and Nightcrawler. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it with Catholic men and being sexy? I'm just 
If you're a Catholic man, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking only about Catholic men in comic books. Um, anyway. Uh, so, uh, real quick, I just want to go back to the record burning scene, because I yeah. I made fun of Lux there, but, but I was just making a joke. Uh, in love. That scene um, hit really hard, because this is for Lux. Uh, she just had her heart broken. She just had all of her freedom stripped away. And now her mom is taking her last fucking thing that she has. The last little bit of hope that she has is in the music. And she has to sit there and burn it. It is so tragic. Yeah. It's... And probably give them all lung cancer in the process. Yeah, God, the smoking that was uh, happening. That was that was low key hilarious when the mom like she makes her burn too, and then she's like, "Oh, never, mind. I'm just okay, gonna put these in the enough, trash." Yeah, <laughs> it's it, yeah, it. Oh God, it's the, watching this movie is so rough because, I mean, I never had to explicitly burn any records, but for me, it was less they took away things that I already had and more I just didn't get to have them to begin with right so with her parents it felt very much and this is kind of what importantly keeps them sympathetic in my opinion and and that's coming from me like someone who has every reason to not view these characters as sympathetic but I I do think they are supposed to be on some level because they're just kind of helplessly floundering and just don't understand what they're doing and like they're trying but they're not really trying you know what i mean like that feels like such a big thing in well movies in general but particularly movies from prior generations and decades is just like parents are just totally and completely incapable of understanding where their children are at and you know what i'm not a parent yet i'm cl closing in on 30 and that just totally baffles me Maybe it'll be different in 15 years, but just from my world perspective at the moment, I don't see how parents can just be so completely and totally clueless as to where their kids are at. I think it it comes down to, I think, not really knowing yourself that well and not really knowing, like, other how to how to deal with other people in general. Like, I don't think it's just kids. I think it's just, like, not knowing how to connect with people and not knowing how to treat them the way they need to be treated. Well, do you think it, like, comes down to, like, a particular worldview on kids? Like, kids as subordinates? Oh, well, yeah, definitely. And people who have to do what you say, not as, like, little humans that you're trying to raise. It's very much, uh, like, you're yeah. subordinate uh, to me. Yeah, also just, like, uh, the the belief that punishment is the only way that i'm gonna get my kids in line lux missed curfew one time and the entire yeah it wasn't just lux it was, was all on, of them was uh well lux like was gone like she didn't come home <laughs> that night uh and so the entire house is on lockdown and they were all she, pulled from school she gets uh the family gets worse and worse and worse uh from the girl's perspective and it's it's instead of sitting down and having a conversation hey what's going on what can we do blah 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 it was like nope burn your records you can never leave the house again i when everything went down uh, I don't know if I was supposed to feel sympathy for the parents, because well, I didn't. I was I like, I hope you feel terrible. That's right. Leave yeah. your town. Leave your town in shame. 
It's, I think most of the sympathy is before that point. It, But I do think that the movie never portrays them as villainous, and that has to be deliberate. I think it, it just feels... Well, it feels like how what happens to a lot of people, I don't want to say most, but certainly a lot of people when they become parents, is the fact that you don't become a different person, like, fundamentally. You're still just, like, a, you know, a messy human being. The only thing is now you have almost godlike power over another human being who is at an extremely vulnerable stage of development. And that's a series of words that is shockingly horrifying. Like, if you really think about them, like... It, and that's that to me is what's going on here is just two extremely emotionally unavailable or emotionally immature people like the mom and dad both like are are extremely like closed yes. off and like, awkward and after the death of their first daughter like the first reaction we get from the dad is like when the priest shows up and he's like they got a a a, a Home ball. Run, a ball. I don't see that scene was so crushingly sad to me in its own way because I was like, yeah, that seems like the way that a dad would react to something this like gut wrenchingly awful. Baseball. Yeah, like <laughs> just like completely sinking into this trivial stuff. Like I don't. I I felt their pain um, when uh, Cecilia is that her name first one? Yes. Uh, uh, committed suicide. I I was like, okay, I. Like, I get it. This is terrible. But I feel like I parents are just people. I get it. Like, like it's a whole thing. <laughs> if all of your children are yeah. planning a mass suicide together, I feel like there would be some clues yeah. in your household that should have been picked up on. And it's never shown that they were. It was always just crackdown, crackdown, crackdown. Well, it's it's they they loosened up by letting them have that party after Cecilia's attempted suicide. They saw it as a failed experiment, right? They saw it as a failed experiment, so they doubled down. They're like, "Well, we tried the other way, and guess what? It didn't work at all." So yeah. they doubled down, and just, they couldn't question at that point. If they had thought about it for two seconds, they would have been like, oh, maybe it's possible that a 14-year-old girl would stay out too late due to, like, you know, trying to get with a boy or whatever. Like, it that makes sense. Like, but it, you know, it's... <laughs> it, yeah, and, and it's just... And it's once again, I think, like, kind of, like, the whole tragedy of the story is just these girls being treated as, as, like, a series of shiny objects. And I think that's, like, kind of kind of spotlighted or highlighted or whatever the correct word is in the filmmaking itself is that, you know, we are invited to look at them as these kind of, like, magical little ethereal creatures. But then through watching it and you think, like, well, that's that's kind of the problem, right? It's like... <laughs> everyone kind of sees them as just like things not like in an animalistic way but more like in a a conceptual way you know oh the concept of my daughters because they're daughters i have to like protect them and therefore that means locking them up inside the house or i see them as romantic interests or sexual interests but i don't have a concept of them that goes beyond that and i yeah. think like in particular that's highlighted in what's his fuck uh trip, trip. 
Yeah, like, that was a super interesting element. Like, seeing the interviews with him as an adult, um, that was interesting. And I don't entirely know where they were going with that, but it... Uh, I did like in the present day maybe I did like the note that he is in a he's in a support group um, mm-hmm. you hear him get called uh, over to the side and it says something yeah, things about, haven't like, gone well for him groups are in it. Yeah. Uh, so this is like this has haunted him yeah. uh, for his entire life afterwards um, but no uh, I think you made a good point about the girls never really getting any sort of agency um, they are either completely controlled in their household or just seen as objects as uh, objects of desire by the boys. Uh, and even, and I, I, I can't remember the sisters' names. <laughs> um, I can't when either. Lux, when Lux goes uh, under the bleachers with Trip and the other sister and the other boy go under there, you see that Lux, because she is so caught up in uh, indulging as much as she can while she has this freedom, that... Uh, her sister loses her agency because Lex is like, why aren't you doing what I'm doing? D- uh, don't be a square or whatever. Yeah, it's just her. a black hole Yeah, like, it, that everyone gets sucked into. Yeah, everyone, everyone, even Lux, who thinks she's having some agency, never fully gets it. And it's yeah, fucking terrible. Even, <laughs> like, to me, like, yeah, like, the part where, you know, after she has sex with with fucking trip like on the football field for some reason like i would you would not catch me doing that but but sure sure um but and the fact that he just gets the fuck up and just leaves and then he can't even explain why he did it like years later and it's weird because he doesn't talk about it like oh yeah i didn't care because i just wanted to get in get off and get out he talks about it like I don't know. I just, it's like he doesn't, he was in some kind of daze and he doesn't understand why he didn't care. And then he goes on to talk about how like, oh, but I loved her so much, but he can't really reconcile those two things. It's like, it's, and that to me is like kind of the essence of it. It's like, well, he did feel very strongly for her, but it wasn't as a person. It was as a concept, like, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the impression he's carried with him. I don't know. You were going to say something, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to comment on the fact that the the first time Lux is given any freedom or any agency, it betrays her and turns around and effectively leaves her for dead. Yep. Um, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Just like, yeah, let me leave this passed out chick, like, out here, like, on a football field after prom. Like, that that doesn't seem like a bad idea or anything. (laughs) Let's talk about nature... And the innocence of teenage girls as metaphor. Ooh, the the elm disease or whatever it was. Yes. The yeah, that was um, a good metaphor. I like that one. So like one of the first shots of the movie is them slapping a tree with marked for removal. Mm, marked um, for removal. Or whatever the the phrase was. I don't I don't remember exactly. Marked for destruction um, or something. And Cecilia leaves her handprint in the plaster on it. Um <sighs> On the nose. And, oh yeah, you want to on the way, nose later way. on when the girls rush out there to protect the tree. Yeah, there's um just a supplementary shot of four more trees down the road, all with red X's on them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so Cecilia was a nature lover. 
she has a conversation with her mom about some new animal that was added to the... <laughs> the way that was me when I was a kid. She was like, the, they were just added to the endangered, endangered species, species list. The mom was like, who? What? Where? I've How? never heard of that. Why should I care? Yeah. Um, I mean, she, she tries to and, show some interest, but it's obvious she doesn't know what the hell is going on. Right. Um, but yeah. And the the sisters obviously knew about it. Like, they knew enough about their sister and cared enough that when the guys show up to the remove the tree, they're able to, like, specifically name the disease that is affecting the trees and name another form of treatment for it. Oh, you're right. Because they cared I... enough about her, her, her sister to, like, remember those details it, from her interests. I didn't um, even catch on to that. Yeah, you're right. And then after the trees are removed and after the girls are gone um you know the the ta- the, the town is sickens. the neighbor the na- yeah the land sickens the, our favorite metaphor that happens um, in movies there's a sickly green haze the air is unbreathable all because of the natural i love that. i love it yes. <laughs> and like they're wearing the gas masks and stuff like uh it uh, just goes full on like music video territory about, like like when it happens and it's such like it's such a noticeable switch in color palette and mm-hmm. tone uh that i was like that's right your foot is all the way on the gas and yes. i don't want you to let up just go, just go. <laughs> yeah. and it's 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 also like a, a metaphor for like like respect for nature is also like the metaphor for the respect for the agency of these teenage girls yeah um like they try to assert their agency to protect this tree and then guess what the tree it's overridden anyway yeah. yep the that's that's a kind of a recurring thing in storytelling is like the kind of like in films where gender is a thing it's often like respect for nature is feminine equated with in respect nature of the feminine. and masculine in industry like the those are like you know kind of the two sides the two genders <laughs> but um, nature and industry yeah choose a side like well and it's interesting too because it's like they also mentioned the decline of the auto industry so there's also sort of that socioeconomic background and we see like the the workers protesting um I guess the stagnant wages um, because of At the, the... cemetery. <laughs> yeah, well, they have those signs that say like "You respect the dead, now respect the living," which is not a not a bad point to make. And um, then they, the dad walks when it cuts silent. Yeah, oh, and the dad steps out so of the car sad. and says something to the men, and they part. Yeah. And the car drives past the blockade, and for the first time in like a minute or two, someone says something. With the workers, like, "What did he say?" And the man goes, "He said she was only 13. Yeah. Not where it hits. Well, and I think, yeah, it's supposed to show that, like... <laughs> Justin is, ooh, like, I know. emoting <laughs> hard. I think <sighs> it's supposed to show that the we're not supposed to, like, hate these people. No. And with the way, like, a lot of movies try to get you to hate, like, protesters or activists or whoever right. in kind of a distasteful way. I don't think that's the point at all here. The point is that they're all kind of suffering together. Right. As as soon as they pulled up to the to the protesters, I was, I was expecting to hate that scene. I was expecting expecting to hate yeah. the dad before he even got out of the car then he gets out of the car just calmly says something gets back in and everything yeah. was resolved and i was like wow that's what makes it so sad that was i mean it is really sad but i was also like i didn't expect that level of like nuance yeah from any other dad character i would have expected him to be like get out of here you fucking right. goddamn hippies well you right know? and that's why it's so sad is because like the dad is just like a complete moron obviously who like doesn't he's like the least qualified person to be the father of five teenage girls but like he, he's not supposed to be hateable it's he's, like pitiable if anything 
it's just like, oh, God, this this sucks. Like, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. Like, this is this is a mess. Um, but but yeah, anyway, so like the yeah, the whole concept of like the the declining auto industry and I guess Detroit, Michigan, wherever they are. Yeah. Um, which is why I think of this movie as like a, a spiritual prequel to It Follows, which I would love to talk about at some point because it also takes place in Detroit and is kind of in the um, the aftermath of the uh, financial and economic ruin. And you go through a lot of similar looking neighborhoods to this movie, but they look so like worn down and depressing and everything. And it's just about like the relentless... Uh, the relentless coming of death. Uh, yeah, so that's a, so spiritual uh, successor. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, the the last scene was really great because it kind of uh, showed that sort of poisonous quality of the aftermath. But. I'm sorry, I, I've never seen it, but from my understanding, it follows is the conceptual opposite of the Virgin Suicides. It's more, it, I don't know what the opposite of a virgin is. I don't know what you call someone who has had sex. Um, but it's not the virgin suicide. A harlot! It's, it's, it's the harlot murders. Oh my it's God. like, it, it's not virgins killing themselves. It's people who have had sex being murdered. Okay, but that's see, like, that still works as like a, an, af, an aftermath of the, like. It. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my Thank God. You. So my don't have will be sex here till and Thursday. kill yourself or have sex and someone and else die. will kill you. Yeah. yeah. So, in the in the third act, uh, when everything finally comes to a head, uh, it, did Let's they talk. send that note? No, yeah. What is? I that? think Caleb's about to make a no, uh, no, no, tasteless no. joke. No, no, it wasn't going to be a tasteless joke. You can continue. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> the note when the boys come over on that final night. Uh, do you think the girls sent that message solely so the boys would be the ones that found them? Yes, excellent. I was going to say, let's talk about how I did not understand that last scene at all. <laughs> let's talk about that. Because they rushed right over. It's not like they took hours to get there and then they did it. It's like, it the seemed were... like they wanted the boys to be the ones that found them. Right, I mean, they told them hours ahead of time. They sent the note earlier in the day night midnight yeah um so my question is why did they want the boys to come over so there would be a witness other than their parents you know so that word could spread um outside of other channels you know um i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna begin to pretend to understand the logic that goes into this situation. Stephanie is grinning. You, I, I, do you have I, anything to add? Well, first of all, I think your confusion is part of the point. It's it's it, it is intentionally vague, but I still feel like I'm well not picking up on it, enough. I don't know it. I think part of it is what you said. Like they wanted someone to bear witness to it, like someone who was not their parents and someone who would be, maybe be more empathetic. That feels to me like kind of part of the point. Like. It feels to me like sort of a last grasp at some kind of connection with another human being in a really sad way. Like, like the way how, you know, how people will write a suicide note. This was like their way of writing a suicide note. Like, like someone who will be with them in death. I, I don't know. It seemed like that to me. And I don't know if that is necessarily the point. 
But, or, but you know, how they, they talk about Cecilia's attempt at suicide as a call for help. This isn't, I guess, so much a call for help because obviously there's no point in it at that point, but, but maybe a call for remembrance, for acknowledgement, for understanding on some level. Come over and see us. The only chance you'll have. I don't think. Yeah, I, I don't know. It. The boys were their only connection. Well, for most of the sisters, Lex was seeing people uh <laughs> for most of the sisters they were their, their only escape to the outside world like they would call them and play records and yeah stuff so like sad. that so maybe they were like you guys are our only support system this is happening we want you to be the ones to find us yeah like it i kept i, I think kept, so there were so many moments in this movie where it felt like there was a setup and i kept waiting for the shoe to drop <laughs> oh. the other the other you know I yeah. like when they were on the phone with the boys for hours at a time, like listening to music. I kept waiting for there to be a moment where the mom was like, "Why is the phone bill so huge? I'm cutting off your phone privileges," and everything gets worse. Um, yeah, I don't know if phone companies charged by the minute back then. They don't anymore. I don't know if they used to. Maybe <laughs> it was only a weirdly small amount of time, like a decade or two, where that was a thing. Yeah, only um, if it's long distance. I think. I don't know. Yeah, so I don't. Maybe that was only for cell phones. I don't know. Uh, it's just I were, once talked were... on the phone for twenty four hours. Wow! Holy what? Was it with a girl? Uh, well, uh, 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 platonically, yes, yes. Uh, what? I would not talk to anyone platonically for twenty four hours. <laughs> and we live together. <laughs> well, we wouldn't talk together platonically because we don't have a platonic relationship. Oh. That's the whole uh, point. If you're listening, unnamed friend, you know who you are. Well, good for y'all. <laughs> Damn. What the fuck? Anyway, what? <laughs> Middle I used school. to have phone calls after school Holy with my shit. best friends in fifth grade. I did not do a lot of talking on the uh, phone as a kid. So, uh, uh, and this is going to tie into something in the movie. Excellent. In a second. Uh, I remember being in middle school and the first time, like, uh, I got a girl's number and calling it. I don't think I've ever heard my heartbeat as loudly <laughs> as that moment. It's a terrifying moment. And that reminds me of when, when what's his fuck, that kid has dinner with them and then he goes to the bathroom and it's like the girl's bathroom. Mm-hmm. When, I, when that happened to me for the first time, the first time I found myself in the bathroom that belonged to a girl my age, I didn't mm-hmm. like touch all of her stuff like a weirdo like this kid did but yeah. I didn't have Stick. like that I didn't have that cave Spongebob moment like Ooh. <laughs> 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 oh my god see that's so funny because I don't I don't th- like I'm imagining the like the opposite of experience of being in a boys' bathroom for the first time and just being like, "Where is eh, everything? Eh, what? What is this? No, it's gross. There's hair everywhere and a single roll of toilet paper." Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah less less of a, a romantic experience for sure. Um, <laughs> but um, where where were we? Um, oh yeah, sad shit. Um, <laughs> Sorry, had to get my bits out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Was it worth it? Jesus Christ. Absolutely. No. We gotta like, we gotta like make them sad and then bring it up. Yeah, and yeah, make yeah. Them yeah. Sad. Oh my god. Yeah. Total whiplash. Brought to you by Sounds Familiar. It also kind of makes me wonder. Like, obviously, the fact that they, well, the boys anyway, 
had a plan to like just fucking take off with them in the car. Like, what was the extent of that plan? Mm, I don't know. I don't know, but, but apparently the little one was going to drive. Yeah, yeah, the little Was he going to sit on an apple box, a milk crate, and drive? The way he's know. the only one that pr- professes to know how to drive, and he's like the one that looks 12. Uh, if you it's stop cute. it right in that fantasy sequence, it's a fairly uplifting film. I know. Oh, yeah, no, right before that happened, I was like... As soon as they entered the house, I was like, this is going to get bad. They're going to get caught. See, the wrong bad things kept happening. I kept yeah. expecting bad things to happen, but then there was a different bad thing. Yep. I was like, they're going to get yep. caught. They're going to get caught. I wouldn't have walked in the house. And then it flashes to that fantasy sequence of them all driving in the car, down the highway, in the sun, the windows down. And I was like, oh, thank God. And Stephanie, who kept being, Stephanie kept warning me that things I, were going to get worse. I didn't want like upset. she would be like oh this is the last happy scene in the movie no. i'd be like cool thanks for letting me know no, I, and then when the, oh. that fantasy sequence happened in the car i was like oh thank god stephanie was like wait i'm like stephanie oh, let I, me experience uh, the trauma in real time so uh, god and this is gonna be dark and gross but it, it's in the film so it's not my fault uh, earlier in the film, you see one of the sisters talk, like, it's a throwaway line, and she just, it's a throwaway line, and she, uh, just points out that there's a leak, uh, on the ceiling. Uh, and then the guy's in there talking about how he just wants to feel one of them up, blah blah blah, and then he gets hit in the head with liquid, and the other boys react, and then you see the feet dangling, and I'm like, oh shit, I thought that was the leak from the roof. That's probably body fluid. <laughs> well, it could also oh, be God. water from the tub. One of the girls killed themselves in the tub. Jesus oh, that's Christ. right, that's right. But anyway, they set that they set that misdirect up. Oh, and it's a Jesus. very subtle misdirect, which I appreciate. Sophia Coppola, I don't know if you have, uh, but if you haven't, uh, make a horror movie. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. That shit, yeah, that was like a, a verging on horror sequence. It never really quite got there because it was over very quickly, so it didn't really build up quite as much tension. Uh, yeah. The the feet but, dangling and uh, the arm hanging out of the car with the cigarette are the darkest things you see, save for the 15-year-old girl being impaled. They also run past, they run through the kitchen, I think, and like literally run into the feet of the one who stuck her head in the oven. Oh, yep. shit. Yep. They literally, like, trip over her feet on their way out. I don't know why you would stick your head in an oven when you could just sit in a car in the the garage and just, I don't know. Right, they should have all just piled into the sedan. That's what I would have done. Just, like, blast some music, everyone gets in the sedan. You know what? I don't want to give anyone any ideas. I'm going to stop now. (laughs) Um, yeah. um. (laughs) So, yeah, that's, um, I don't know. I do like that sequence, though, and I like how you never fully see the bodies of any of them. You only just see, like, bits and pieces. Mostly you see their feet. With Lux, you see her hand. It, it's, it feels very vague, very incomplete, and I think that's Which is purposeful. what anyone other than the parents and the police would have gotten was vague and incomplete. Right. Like, all of the gossiping neighbors. Right. Uh, it's... You, you get about as much as anyone on the street would have gotten. Yeah. And it contributes to that idea of, of never really, for the boys anyway, of never really knowing what happened fully and never really understanding it. And it, it feeling like just, I don't know, a terrible thing that you can't quite process. Um, I don't know. 
I, I thought I thought it was well done, and I, I liked that it was not gratuitous in that, you know, we we don't really need to see dead teenagers everywhere. Like, we, we get the idea. <laughs> and I think that it was it was well done. Um, and also, it's, you know it's going to happen, so it it doesn't feel horrifying so much as just, like, right, right, yep, I knew this was coming. <laughs> like, so, which I guess, you know, is kind of the point. Um, and I like that after that point, as we mentioned earlier, everything does kind of shift, like the, the cinematography changes, the color palette, the music even is, is different. I can't recall exactly, but I thought that was well done, including that awful part of the party where the like drunk guy is like, Oh, I'm a teenager. I'm going to kill myself because things are so horrible. He's like, obviously mocking the... (laughs) what happened and like throws himself in the pool and it's like yeah i could see that happening i could see some fucking douchebag at a party saying that like yeah that's it, very real yeah very real, unfortunately. extremely right <laughs> um but well, no yeah it's it's really good and if, uh, uh, if you want to have a really good time you could do what stephanie and i did and make this a double feature with american beauty uh another movie from the same exact year about suburban ennui and yep. uh people dying you know, at the end death um, yep, yep, yep. Uh, uh, the repression, the, uh, the, <laughs> the repression, the ennui, the, the sudden bursts of violence, that's, it's great, we love it, um, yeah, but on that depressing note, um, do we have anything else before we move on to Lost in Translation? Less death in that one, which is cool. I'm, nope. No, it's good. Nope. So. Uh, uh, so, so, at the risk of sounding like a like a after school special, uh, I with the subject matter that uh, we have just covered and uh, uh, everything that's been going on recently, things being as crazy, intense, and confusing as they are, uh, I would feel irresponsible as a content creator if I didn't uh, say the following, uh, which is please, for the love of God. Check on your friends. Check on your family. Um, you never know what someone's going through. Uh, the the hotline number uh, for suicide prevention is 800-273-8255. Um, don't, don't not do anything. Help yourself. If you need, help people if you care you about. you need help, reach out. Because yeah. Jesus Christ. Because uh, shit sucks. Uh, we're all too important to go, uh, and we love our audience, and we hope you love yourself. Also, if you have kids, just for the love of God, just don't treat them as little dolls that you can just toss around and just, like, treat them as human beings, you know? Assuming that you you treat fellow human beings well, which I guess not all of us are good at doing, <laughs> but, like, you know, just just have compassion for people and for yourself. Oh, God. It's all so terrible. We'll see you guys after the break. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFilmiliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. Uh, 
after the break, and it's time to get lost in translation, boys. What are we losing in translation? Everything. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. We're... Uh, the second movie from Sofia Coppola that we were talking about, as in the second one we're talking about, not the second movie from her. I don't know if this was her second movie or not. I, um, it might have been. It only came out four years after. They're only Richard four years sides. apart, but these movies feel decades apart. They, hmm. I, I, the vibe I get uh, is just lost in translation. Feels very much like early mid two thousands. And Virgin Suicides just feels very early 90s to me. Even I mean, though it's I know late it's 90s. 99. I feel like it feels late 90s because to me it feels very much like American Beauty and American Beauty is late 90s. That's fair. I don't know. Uh, this is her second film uh, as director. so okay. Excellent. Yeah. I think that makes sense. This was my first time seeing this movie, though it has been on my watch list for quite some time. It has been on my watch list so long that it has been added to and subsequently removed from Netflix multiple times. Yeah. For me, uh, this was my first time uh, watching and paying attention to this movie. It's my second time seeing the movie. Uh, I went to film school, uh, so I had a lot of uh, film buff friends. So this was on one time at a party, which, you know perfect party vibes but really it was like people were watching it i showed up early watched the first few minutes then people started showing up and then shots <laughs> yeah yeah hey, this is good like small party everyone's just kind of chilling out vibes mm-hmm. but like big party yeah. no it, it's, it's the kind of party where you're there with a few of your friends and then after you watch it you start talking about life, and then you realize that two of your friends are missing, and then you realize they're off dry humping somewhere. It's that kind of vibe. Delightful. <laughs> I, yeah, I get the vibe. That's the thing. Yeah, it, it's, it's, such a, it's such a quiet movie. Stephanie, was this your first time seeing it? No, no. Um, this is my... Well, this is my second time seeing it. Ha. <laughs> I said no so emphatically. I mean, it sound like I've been watching it forever. <laughs> no, I actually watched this one, I want to say pretty soon after I watched The Virgin Suicides. And in no small part because I was very intrigued by uh, Sofia Coppola's filmography. Um, at the point when I saw Virgin Suicides, I think the only Sofia Coppola movie I'd seen prior to that was Marie Antoinette, which I also really like. Um, and uh, so after seeing Virgin Suicides and knowing I really like that one and Marie Antoinette, I was like, hmm, well, I should probably actually watch Lost in Translation. Um, and I, I really liked it too. Um, like, I think that it is a very boring movie, but I say that with a lot of love. Like, <laughs> it, it is a very, it is intentionally a very slow, very quiet, character-focused movie. And, and I don't think that's a problem. All right. It is the type of boring movie that I, like, could not look away from. I was right, intensely right. focused upon the entire time. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, think- it is, it is yeah. unapologetically doing its thing. Yes. And its thing yeah. isn't. Uh, exactly uh, edge of your seat gripping. It's like, no, you're going to sit here and you're going to feel these things and that's it. (laughs) It's very slice of life. Um, 
feels very indie in that regard. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's very relatable. Like, it's very good at um, conveying, like, mood and atmosphere. And um, feels very real. Like, I'm not someone who has ever been to Japan. <laughs> or someone uh, who's ever had to stay in a hotel alone for long periods of yeah, time. Yeah, or any of that. Or has had a friendship with, like, an older man or, or, or anything like that. But And yet it feels very... And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like in some way I relate to this, though I can't quite put my finger on I... how. <sighs> okay. As someone who lived in Japan for three years, and the night before I watched this movie, I had a dream about going back, which I don't think has ever happened before. So it was really weird wow. watching this the following day. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this movie gave me an intense desire to go back to a Japanese arcade. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It looks so fun. Um, it's so. It makes Japan look so cool. Like, I mean, which... Japan always looks cool. Uh, which let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, th- this film, in hindsight, the has been uh, uh, yeah. criticized yeah. for some of its representations it's of Japanese culture and some of the jokes. Uh, yeah, the, the the you mean the same gnarly. joke like five times. Uh-huh. So before. I, about like an hour into or thirty minutes into this movie, I messaged Stephanie and I was like, "the the mixing up the L and the R joke has been made so many times already." And then another thirty minutes into the movie, they explicitly address it, and it's like, yeah, this uh, is not a great." So, uh, look. so some of the humor hasn't aged. Great. It's no. yeah the the I think the reason that they focus so much on in particular on the the L and R thing which you know it's dark like it it's it's bad that <laughs> I'm not even gonna try to defend it but but I do think the reason that they focus on is is it's because it's specifically a language thing and the whole yeah. thing you know it's called lost in translation yeah. like, and like they don't speak the language like I get it it just feels like really indated. And- and I, I, again, not saying it's okay, uh, but it is definitely the type of thing a realistic older white man is going to joke about again and again. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In any foreign country yeah um, honestly a character like that if he wasn't making jokes like that i would be a little surprised no i hate to say i it, will but... say i watched this movie without subtitles and i feel like it added to the experience no um, absolutely i did the same because i i feel like if i had watched this movie with subtitles on all of the sequences where he's you know talking to um one of the many japanese side characters in the movie um there would have been subtitles for everything they were saying you know but without the subtitles you're still getting like the the experience (laughs) as him you're trying you're having to like attempt to piece together the the broken english well i was forced to have that experience uh because (laughs) i really like to watch things with subtitles but we watched this on Peacock, and there weren't any subtitles available and i am not used to that happening Actually, that also happened to me recently when I was watching L.A. Confidential on Amazon Prime, and it also did not have subtitles available, and I really did not like that because, actually, that movie and this one are both very dialogue-focused, and so much of the time I was like, wait, what, 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 what? Like, (laughs) and, yeah, did not like that. 
but but I get what Caleb's saying, definitely. Um, the language barrier is obviously like a, a running theme, um, and it's I get it, but at times it feels a little weird. It's like so much of it is like Japanese people like talking at them like a lot, and I'm like, why doesn't someone just say? oh, I'm sorry I don't speak Japanese, and that will be conveyed very quickly. Like, it just feels like a failure of communication on all sides, which maybe is part of the point. I don't know. I don't know. It was just weird. I, I got a weird vibe whenever that was happening. I was like, just just say something. Just say something. They will know you don't speak Japanese. Like, if, if I'm talking to a Japanese person in English, and I'm, like, firing shit off, and then they say something, like, in Japanese... Like, and they obviously don't speak English. I'm not going to keep talking at them in English because I'm going to know that that's not effective. I don't know. It was so weird to me. I was just like, what? Why? What is going on? I do want to know what that elderly person was making him say in the hospital that was so hilarious. Uh, that was a cute uh, scene. To the, to the people in the back. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I wonder too. And it was nice because it was like... I guess it kind of gets into, like, one of my main problems with the movie, which is that, like, while Japan is very much, like, the setting, it doesn't feel like any of the Japanese people are, like, actual characters and, like, don't matter at all. No, it feels very, like, Japan isn't what's important here. This movie could take place in any country. All you need is two English-speaking individuals who are effectively stranded in... A country that is not their own that does not speak their own language for a long period of time that definitely makes sense i guess it would have just seemed a little less you know if it was like a european country or something um you know and it was more just b- the language barrier where it was there was kind of some uncomfortably racialized stuff like you know all the shots of like bill murray being so much taller than all the japanese people and i was like uh okay Um, and like, I don't know. And just like, I don't know. Just the way that there weren't like there, I mean, there aren't a lot of characters to be fair. It, that's just kind of part of the whole thing, but also it's just kind of like all the white people clustering together. And then there's a bunch of Japanese people milling in the background to me is always kind of like, I feel like we could have done a little more with this, but I don't know exactly what. So I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think it's just, I don't think anything in this film is intentionally malicious. Uh, No, no. I think it is just uh, side effects of telling the type of story you're telling, uh, especially at the time that you were telling them. Um, Yeah, yeah. Which is, it, it, we've not come as far as we should uh, since 2003, but we've, we've come... At least some distance. <laughs> so. Right. And, 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 yeah, I mean, like, I definitely recognize the fact that the language barrier is in place as, like, a whole thing. Like, that's the whole point of the movie. It's it's about isolation and an inability to communicate. Um, and, and I think that is definitely, like, efficiently conveyed. Um, you know, so take take all those criticisms with a grain of salt. I do recognize that it's basically just, like, a two-character movie. Like, all the other characters, even, you know, even the white characters who do have more lines are still kind of just window dressing. Um, I mean, you don't even yeah, see, uh, you, know. you don't even see Bob's wife at all. Yeah, like, she's like, always on the yeah. phone. 
And right, and that's like an interesting thing too, because for all the lack of ability to communicate in the same language that we've been talking about, they can communicate in the same language, and yet their conversations feel extremely distant. Um, right. And feel they do. They say bye. He tries to say I love you one time, but she hangs up before he can. Yeah, it still feels very, very like they're removed from each other and they're not truly communicating. Which you know, once again, it's the whole point. And <laughs> like, of course, uh, Char- Charlotte Scarlett Johansson, Charlotte Johansson, her her husband never seems to really notice that she's there. Like, like he does it in a very relatable way. Like. To me, that's a very relatable feeling of someone is like there with you and kind of talking to you, and yet you know they're not really paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, which is an ouchie for sure. <laughs> and that's the whole thing with both Bob and Charlotte is they both feel a a a sense of loss and general melancholy about their situations, but not so strongly that they make the jump to change it. Uh, like, like even at the ending when when uh when bob kisses her and whispers whatever the fuck which i actually i i do i have to find it again for the end of the episode but i do know oh, what so was said uh, oh i didn't know there was a canon thing that was yeah said. Uh, uh the the last line which is muffled and the kiss were actually uh improvised uh and bill murray was told to improvise that scene um which i would hate that if i was an actor i would have been like do not fucking tell me to improvise you are the director tell me what to do but kind of like his whole thing uh, i guess i just ugh. um i'm sure it was improvised in rehearsal and then they kept it in the in the film anyway um uh now damn i lost track of my thought uh oh yes 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 so even in that kiss and when he says what he says and they they part ways like they have chosen to part ways they're they're like they had this experience and now they are going into their status quo uh having learned a lesson having at least reconciled with the feelings that they're feeling a little bit like they they went through something but it wasn't powerful enough for them to like cast it all aside and run away it's like no like, right. feels real but, yeah exactly they haven't changed their situation but they themselves have still changed yeah they it feels had like they an, have a different outlook now they exactly. had an experience that they needed to have you know yeah and and that feels really real to me um because in the end it's not a movie that's about grand gestures and can you hear sorry that? puppy paws yeah (laughs) 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 he had to like claw his way into the couch anyway you know i'm not even gonna bother cutting that out (laughs) yeah we acknowledged it it's fine um it feels very real um in a way that is not maybe typical of a lot of movies because a lot of movies would have a much more dramatic like climax and rising action and falling action whatever like, in this one, the closest thing we get to that is, like, I don't know. Like, the first time I watched it, I expected there to be a lot more of a falling out between them. Mm-hmm. But it ends up being a very small kind of... You can tell there's tension there. And it briefly comes to a head, but it, it is soon forgotten after that. And I'm not really sure how to feel about that. Like, 
I do think, honestly, that there should have been a little more conflict between them just because they are the central relationship of the movie. But I get it also. It feels like something that could easily happen. Like, the closest thing that ever happens to conflict is her getting a little bit jealous in some indefinable way because we're never completely sure how she feels about him on that level. Like, the the fact that he um, spent the night with the the lounge singer, which he doesn't even seem that aware of. Like, he seems to be like, oh, yeah, shit, I got really drunk and slept with the, the lounge singer. And then she's, like, weirdly salty about it for some reason. Well- and you can tell he instantly know. regrets it. When he wakes up, he's like, oh, fuck. And what I liked about I mean, it is it's not... She's it, a redhead it, who can sing. What's to what's to feel guilty <laughs> about? But I don't know. It, <laughs> in other, in other movies, uh, the type that Bill Murray would be in, um, a character would wake up, realize they slept with somebody, even though they're married, and be like, oh shit and it would be a whole thing bill murray was just kind of like oh i really made a mistake here Eh. (laughs) it was a very like yeah you can tell he was bothered by it but it didn't become a big thing tm uh this is and and i appreciated it because this movie and and the virgin suicides is just something that sofia coppola is fantastic at uh the characters emote in believable way and i don't mean believable in like a narrative sense i mean like as a human being yeah would actually react this is the most believable like most human role i've ever seen bill murray in. <laughs> he seems like a real person while still being right bill like murray, this is like... the only role i've ever seen him in where he wasn't also like a looney tunes character <laughs> Yeah, this is, this is, I told Caleb, this is the only role I could pick, actually believe Bill Murray as a love interest in. Like, when we, whenever we watched Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day, I was like, no, no, <laughs> no, I don't believe it. Like, I don't buy it at all. And that's when I'm like, hmm, yeah, I get it. Like, I, I, I'd, I'd go for it. Like, <laughs> the only time I ever thought that about Bill Murray, which I think I will chalk that up to Sofia Coppola's direction. Like, I, I think she really made it come together and made, like, the connection between these two people who have no reason, it seems, on, on the surface to be connected other than, I guess, they're both white and they both speak English. Um, those, those all they powerful one thing connectors. in common yeah. <laughs> um the other than that um but but i don't know surely makes me believe it and i think that's really cool um yeah so but yeah the the structure is is a little odd in that way and is a little anticlimactic it's but it's a little bit funny <laughs> yes <laughs> But it, it feels true to the kind of movie that it is, you know. Um, and you get the sense that there is a, sur- a sort of evolution happening just very, very quietly. So like The Virgin Suicides, this movie is also about crushing loneliness, but in a very, very different way. Um, to be incredibly middle, uh, uh, white middle class about this... Um, I guess I've, I, like, I've kind of experienced this and that, like, you know, 
I went on a cruise with my family when I was 19, <laughs> and I was too old to do any of the teenager stuff. <laughs> Too young to do any of the adult stuff. I that literally couldn't do anything. It was you. super fucking hard for me. <laughs> no, I okay, okay, yes, it's I get so, it though. At it, the middle it's of it all, it's a formative age. It's a formative experience. At I the get middle it. of it all, is you're still stuck somewhere, Bobby oh, Newport. Bobby <laughs> Newport. Um, yes, with some floozy in Mallorca. Um, no, oh the God. you're still stuck somewhere for a week at a time with nobody to relate to, and you have to like you find someone in this lonely situation and you latch onto them. It's not just that, you know how like you, you go to a new you move to a new school, or and I I don't I don't know. There's yeah. any number of situations. No, yeah. I went to the first one that came to my mind because that is the closest I've ever been to this fucking situation in my cushy middle class life. Yeah. Um which okay, if we're laughing at me, both of these people are upper middle class. Bob is oh, getting yeah, paid 2 million dollars to be here for a week, okay? God, okay. Charlotte's husband is a famous photographer. All right. We can't be laughing at me. These two people are on all expense paid trips. <laughs> To Tokyo, one yeah, of the coolest cities fair. in the world, that's and they're fair. both sitting in like, their hotel rooms. I felt rooms. loneliness on a cruise. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> no, uh-huh. no, no. I yeah. They're both it, staying in a five-star hotel, but they're not paying for it. It's important to acknowledge that there is a certain level of class. Uh, uh, uh what's the word? A uh, privilege here. Yes. No, but, I was going to say. I think it's important to acknowledge that loneliness is something that is extremely not uh not unique to any particular type of person right it supersedes class structure right Right. it's something that is just relatable to the human condition yeah right like because there's the inability or or under certain circumstances the impossibility of connecting with other people it is something that can happen anywhere to anyone and i think it that's worth acknowledging um right oh like shit when i went out of town for work yeah i was by myself for an entire week all evening went out to a freaking arcade bar multiple nights until i finally noticed someone you were just i'm that kind of guy where i like recognize people by like archetypes i look at someone like we wouldn't get along we wouldn't get along we wouldn't get along you spot someone and you're like this is kindred spirit yeah kindred spirit across the bar and you work up the courage to walk up to them and say something see that's called being a man is being able to just approach people without fear hey scarlett johansson made the first move i know i still can't believe that 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 could not have been me maybe if i uh, I looked like scarlett johansson but I feel like this is a good time before I make my serious point uh, uh, to read <laughs> read the message I sent you guys earlier, uh, <laughs> in which uh, while I was watching this film, I expressed that I wish it, <laughs> it was still acceptable <laughs> to smoke in uh, uh, fancy bars, to which Caleb said, "Not just dive bars," and I said, "Nah, <laughs> totally different vibe." Smoking in a dive bar. I got shitty with my buds. Smoking in a high-class bar. I have a deep, unknowable logging that is only quelled by this cigarette and this glass of scotch. That's a vibe that I I can feel. Yeah. 
Uh, this bar that they're hanging out in, I'm like, sure, I'd love to be lonely in this fucking bar as opposed to like whatever shithole we can find around here. Like right? that sounds great, but right, kept me rolling up to no name and sitting, yeah, yeah. sitting there eating some sun chips, being like, I'm so lonely and I have a terrible secret. Oh Shout out Watershed or freaking, whatever the fuck your name is. Now. Yeah, while yeah. freaking Seether is playing on the jukebox. <laughs> right, right. Um, so my serious point uh, is. It's interesting watching these two films back to back um, because that feeling of uh, loneliness and uh, isolation, you really get a myriad of perspectives on the same feeling. Like in The Virgin Suicides, you get a a multitude of, of teenage girl feelings of loneliness. And in Loss of Tan- uh, Translation, you get uh, uh, not only a slightly older woman um, in her early 20s, uh, just fresh out of college, um, but also strangely <laughs> a older man uh, as well. Um, so you really, it, it really runs the gamut of uh, uh, age brackets and how they deal with that feeling. Um, no, I totally is, agree. It, it's to... beautiful to watch. It, it, it watching these two back to back, you really get a whole. Uh, journey of what that means um, yeah the, the the breadth of like the types of loneliness that you yeah. experience just from these two movies from one from her first movie to her second movie they're very different like they're both very human and i think and anyone who has empathy can deeply relate to both of them um so it's it's it is interesting going from a very particular type of loneliness in the virgin suicides to a completely different type in lost in translation but they're still both real and relatable and i also feel like the the types of loneliness or or emotions that they're dealing with in these two films it's more intense in the virgin suicides which makes sense because when you're a teenager like like you're your nerves are on your sleeve, like like the slightest bump, and you are feeling the strongest feelings you've ever felt. And in Lost in Translation, it's more it's more subdued and introspective, uh, which I feel like is true of <laughs> adult existential yeah. crises and loneliness. I'm not I'm not standing on a mountaintop screaming that I feel uh, insecure or isolated. It's very like reflective right it's just kind of like button up your shirt look in the mirror what's what's the fucking meme the try not to let the existential dread set in (laughs) don't let let it set in you know do the vacuuming (laughs) (laughs) it it feels like an adult perspective overall and within that what's interesting is you get two kinds of adult perspectives you get a young adult which like like us like someone who is just kind of starting out on the adult journey and is like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know what to do. And someone who is an older adult and is like, I still don't really know what to do, but I guess I'm more at peace with it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know? Um, And what's interesting, what I realized this time around, even though I knew it before, was that both of these characters are married, but they're... um, there it feels like something is lacking in each of those relationships 
um, that causes them to seek out each other, right. even though they do end up talking about marriage right. and like kind of maybe coming to some peace with their own and, through that. And one of them is a very old marriage, 25 years, and the other one is very new, only two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to me that both, that neither perspective that both perspectives feel fully fleshed out and fully realized. Like it's not one of them is understood and the other one is like kind of stunted. It's that they show they, there's a surprising amount of understanding here coming from the, the, the screenwriter. Right. Um, and the scene where they're laying in bed and just talking about themselves, like asking questions back and forth, talking about marriage, talking about kids, talking about life. Um, prior to this scene, they had spoken multiple times, about how neither of them have been able to sleep like the entire time they've been here because every time they've met up it's been like really late at night you know two in the morning one of them can send a a message to the other and guess what they're both awake um and then this scene they're laying in bed and talking and being open and genuine and honest with each other and then they both fall asleep yeah for they they get sleep for the first time since they've been here which is its own kind of intimacy. Like, when you sleep next to somebody, it's just kind of like, that's your most vulnerable state. Right. You know? It's it's so an it's, intimacy for them and a, and a closure. Yeah. That's like, once you disclose that, you can just shut off for a while. And it's really nice. Sorry, our cat is back, and she's climbing around on the counter. Kitty's not allowed on the counter. Yeah, me, I'm going to need to get down. She's like, I'm tired of vibes. Give me pets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Vibes do not pay my pets. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, miss. Can you get down, baby? Uh, She's like... I blame this movie uh, for the next week of my life where I have fuck the pain away stuck in my head. Wait, what? That's the song playing in the strip club. Oh, that's a great title. Um, So I need to listen to the song, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, that was like, sucking on my titties like you wanted me, calling me all the time. Uh, (laughs) Fuck the Pain Away by Peaches. Uh. That was excellent. I need to actually listen to that song. It kind of slapped, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. It's... Uh, Wait, you think Tokyo strip clubs don't know their business? No, I'm sure they do. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that Scarlett Johansson just came in and sat down. I was like, hey, what's up? Like, <laughs> like they're just like in the strip club and no one's harassing them to buy drinks, which is not true to my experience of strip I, clubs. Uh, but... I, I love, I love uh, classic Bill Murray physical comedy, but when... <laughs> When the stripper is like <laughs> bending backwards and he thinks she's falling, so he like gets ready to brace her. Is like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that see, that was kind of sweet to me because that kind of seemed to be like indicative of his. Like he's kind of like slowly shifting into dad mode, where instead of being like, ooh, a hot stripper, he's like, oh, a uh, 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 a young lady that I need to like make sure she's okay. Well, I don't think he, he, was, he wasn't really there for the strip, strip club the entire time. Yeah. He didn't know it was a strip club going right, into right, it. Right, that's true. He was supposed to meet Charlotte and her friends there, and then her friends abandoned him to go get lap dances. Yes. Um, I thought it was sweet, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Th- that's something uh, that I, I, I loved about uh, Bill Murray's character in general is they they never did the oh he's just a horny old man no like it was very he was a very real person (laughs) 
Yes, I did like that a lot, and I thought there was a believable amount of sexual tension between him and Scarlett Johansson, but it also felt real in that it's like, it never really happens, it's just kind of like, you know that it's there, but it's like, they both kind of know that that's something that can't happen. Right, like, yeah. the the kiss was enough. Like, right. Like, the, the, the scene when they're in the elevator, when they think they're saying goodbye, yeah. is so, like, tense and uncomfortable oh, because, yeah. like... They He's think it's good. the floor, and then he gives her an awkward kind of kiss on the cheek, almost. And then they're like, oh, it's not the right floor. And We've then, all like, been there when you, like, say bye to someone, and then it turns out they can't yeah, leave just and, yet. And, it's like, oh, right. And yeah. then he they, they have uh, the most awkward, like, almost kiss ever. Ugh. And then they leave, and they no, think goodbye for that the was, final time. That felt real as um, hell. It did. No, it, it, it did. Really that's, why it was, that's why it was uncomfortable. No, it was it excellent. Felt real. And then they finally get that resolution when he sees her on the street. He, like, jumps out of his car, runs up to her, they hug, he says something to her, they kiss, and they part ways, both of them smiling and happy because, like, um, don't cry because it's over, smile, smile because, because it, it happened. happened. <laughs> um, and it, it needed, they needed that resolution, and that's all the resolution needed to be, was yeah. they, they needed that little something it feels like an acknowledgement it's like mm -hmm. it's it's like an acknowledgement like it's like a thank you kiss right like, like when the pizza guy shows up at your door <laughs> you kiss him on the mouth yeah <laughs> that's definitely a thing that ladies be doing for sure <laughs> No, it wasn't a thank you kiss. It, like that's like what I said. It was an acknowledgement of the fact that they had something, like an acknowledgement of the fact that like they both know it can't be anything more than that, but they know that it was a thing. Uh, it, it's it something real. that had it not have happened, they both would have regretted it for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's well, and it, in a beautiful but sad way as this movie is, uh, uh, it's, it's all it needed to be yeah. for them. Yep. Like that was, it was enough. I and feel like that's what life is about. Yeah. Being enough. <laughs> the two thousands were maybe the last time when you could tell this kind of story of like two people meeting and being a part of each other's lives for a very brief time and then just kind of vanishing, but before in a way that makes media. sense. Right, like, it, it, bef a time before we were so connected that they could have just been like, oh, well, hey, I'll look, look you up, up on, on Facebook. Yeah, like, whatever, <laughs> like, follow me on Insta. <laughs> like, you know, which, and I think ultimately that's a good thing is that we're so connected. But it's also an interesting thing. It's like telling a story in the modern world of two people who could reasonably vanish from each other's lives in a way that feels you know acceptable like you're part of someone's life and then you're no longer part of it and that's just how it is right they didn't uh, even exchange phone numbers which yeah they which done. is like it's funny because now it seems it's, like that they, seems a lot less likely they were both what the other needed at that particular right. moment and they didn't need any more than that yeah now you heard it here folks burn your social media throw your phone in a river become mysterious <laughs> facebook up delete the I gym mean, and hit your lawyer no, I, think, <laughs> I think i think ultimately it's good that we're we're so connected i just think it's an interesting storytelling opportunity when people aren't as connected and there is that sense of, of briefness um 
I go back and forth on if I think it's a good uh, a good thing that we're so connected because sometimes I check Twitter and I'm like, yo, I fucking hate all of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Like, throws but then, but then the catch me not 15 minutes later being like, ooh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, no, that's me every time. Every time I'm like, I'm done with this app and then like 20 minutes later, I wonder what people on Twitter are saying. Like, yeah, no, I, that's real. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I think it still feels true to experiences that we can have, even in this day and age. I mean, even when we are so connected, it, it still doesn't change the reality of life, which is that, you know, there are comings and goings and, and, like, just because, you know, just because someone is no longer part of your life or can't any longer be part of your life, that doesn't mean that that they weren't important. That doesn't mean that it didn't matter. And then obviously, in this case, it's like they're on two very different paths in life. It's not feasible that they would continue to be part of each other's lives. But that doesn't mean that what they had didn't matter. It very much mattered. Exactly. Uh, so last week uh, we discussed Guillermo del Toro, and we we discussed how uh, beautifully he he captures humanity. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at their cat's butthole. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I did that entirely she on purpose. She up in front of the mic. <laughs> anyway, the point I was making, children. Yes. <laughs> Hey, baby, how's my uh, The point. Oh. What I was making is uh, we discussed how beautifully uh, Guillermo del Toro captures humanity. Uh, but I feel like he does that in a very uh, uh, stylized and expressive way. Um, mm. In contrast, Sofia Coppola captures humanity uh, equally as beautifully, but in a much more realistic somber yeah. kind of way yeah and i my god am i here for it uh, uh absolutely yes uh, guillermo del toro's characters feel uh human but larger than life um sofia coppola's characters feel like i could i could go meet bob they like, feel life-sized downtown like <laughs> yeah right they yes they seem very down to earth and yet interesting you know fun to see on screen like colorful but but people that we could meet people that we could know um yeah i really like that like there there is that sense of realism combined with whimsy that i think is such a nice combination um which i think holds up for her other films i've seen um I think I've seen three of her other movies, Marie Antoinette, The Bling Ring, and uh, The Beguiled. And I, I like all of them. Um, these two are probably my favorite, though I really like Marie Antoinette as well. Um, I, I, I definitely want to watch Marie Antoinette. Yeah, um, I like that. I really like this one. This is definitely like a good rainy day movie. Justin, would you consider this a comfy pants movie? The comfiest. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but with the, <laughs> with, yes, the with the caveat, this is a comfy pants on a rainy day. Okay. <laughs> oh, comfy pants plus rainy day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, there's, there's a very soothing quality to all of her movies, even 
when they're not about the most soothing of content. Because, I don't know, I think there's just, like, a quietness and introspectiveness, a, a dreamlike quality um, that's very rewatchable, for one thing. Like, it's just, like, a nice headspace to be in. Like, the vibes are nice. The aesthetics are nice. Um, the characters feel real. Um, never in a way that descends all the way to, like, super dark and gritty, but that can be a little a little sad and, and dark and relatable. Um, yeah. I, th- I, I think, uh, you know, the vibes. The vibes are... Th- they pass the vibe check. So you got a nat 20 on the vibe check. Yeah, yeah the vibe <laughs> check is passed. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, these are the only two of her films that I've seen. Uh, I've been meaning to watch... Marie Antoinette for a long time. Really I've been like meaning one. to watch A Very Murray Christmas, which she wrote, directed, and was a producer for yeah. uh, for the last six years. Um, and I want to see On the Rocks just because it's another Bill Murray movie, and I love Bill Murray. Uh, Rashida Jones is also in that one, who I'm a big fan of. Um, so I, big fan. She's, she's one of those directors that I've been meaning uh, to engage with for such a long time, um, but my god, these two films are great it's beautiful i god I, they're good. I, look, I look forward to watching them again in the future yeah i think they're extremely rewatchable and i think the older you get the more the more rewatchable they are but yes i would dec- definitely recommend checking out her other films as well and i need to watch more of them too i've really enjoyed the ones that i have watched all right um well I think that about does it for us, guys, unless you have anything else. Nope, that's that's about all I got for uh, these two. I fucked around and I found out. <laughs> uh, pretty movies are pretty, and sometimes you just have to shed a tear and drive in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and... And Hollywood should definitely let us have more female directors. I promise that it it will work out for you in the long run. <laughs> we we have visions as well. Um, I think that's becoming more of a thing. I think the Oscars this year um, had a few more female directors featured. Um, but but yeah, I think next week we will be back with another white dude. Uh, but 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 Typical with great movies. World but with view. great movies nonetheless. So we will still. But he's be British. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm looking forward to it. Um, and apologies if you heard any purring into the mic. Our kitty is sitting literally directly under the microphone, purring and demanding pets. So. Uh. Yeah. I would also like to apologize if you hear any uh, squeaks during the episode. Uh, my chair is a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're having all kinds of technical difficulties out here. My right. name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. My name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on Letterboxd at Ray's Left Boob. My name's Justin. You can find me on most social media at Blame It on Butler, and you can find this show on Twitter at. I almost said I hope you exist. We are sounds <laughs> familiar. <laughs> That's a sister podcast. <laughs> Sorry, yes. recording back to back. That uh, God damn it! That's the first time I didn't nail that. <laughs> oh, buddy. Uh, oh, and it's got to stay in. That no, sucks. Close enough. Close Feel enough. my shame. <laughs> oh my god! All right. <laughs> Well, good night, y'all. We'll see you next week on Sounds Familiar. Good night, everybody. 
Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at SoundsFamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at SoundsFamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.